of Pentecost, the disciples were empowered by the Holy Spirit. This was the birthday of the church as we know it today. To be fully empowered by the Spirit is to give the Holy Spirit unrestricted access to every area of our lives. And as we walk with God, God then transforms us to be like his son, Jesus Christ, and restore his image in us that was damaged and distorted in the fall. My last four sermons, we have examined uh, what that looks like in practical ways in our lives. The first soul shift we looked at was me to you. It's a shift in orientation from focusing on ourselves to focusing on others. Then we examined uh, what it looks like to shift from slave to child, to shift in our identity from seeing ourselves primarily as a servant or as a slave to seeing ourselves primarily as a child of God because our Father wants to have a relationship with us. He wants us to love him, not just serve him. The third soul shift we saw was from seen to unseen. It's a shift in values from embracing things that are temporary to embracing things that are eternal. We learn to live our lives in the present with eternity in view. The fourth one we looked at was that shift from ask to listen, and it's a shift in posture, from first going to and asking others to first seeking God and listening to him. Yes, we seek godly counsel and advice, but we ask God first and then listen for his voice in a more intentional way through prayer and friends and circumstances. Today, we want to look at what it looks like to shift from sheep to shepherd. It's primarily a shift in influence from just following to leading like Christ. You know, I've discovered people today come to Christ for all sorts of reasons, but when we read the Gospels, we discover what drives many people to Jesus today is not what drove the disciples, and I think that might explain why sizable percentage of people who come to Jesus today never really end up following him. Some who come to Christ today come out of fear. They simply want to escape eternal punishment. So Jesus is primarily their their fire insurance policy, their, their ticket to heaven. I think the starkest illustration of this from my own personal experience is I was asked to visit a guy by one of his family members who was concerned about his spiritual life, concerned about his soul. And to make a really long story short, he, he lived alone in a, a little trailer with no trespassing signs all around his property. In fact, it said, you trespass, you get shot. So I'm asked by a family member to go see this guy, okay? So I drive my car up to the edge of the property. I see that sign. So I stay in my car. I get up and go to his front door. And I, I, I knock on the door. He let me in. He had, in my conversation with him, he had no apparent relationship with God or any of his family members. He had no love for God's word, no love for God's people, no desire to fellowship or to join in worship with God's people. You see, he'd been told many, many years earlier that all he had to do was pray the sinner's prayer and he was the same as in heaven. That Jesus had died in order to give him a ticket to heaven and he'd prayed the sinner prayer and he was in. His life did not reflect any deepening relationship with God or others. 
His whole hope of eternal life was based on the words of one evangelist. I didn't make it out alive, obviously, I'm here today. Didn't get much of a response, but we talked with him and prayed with him. Others are, are often looking only for forgiveness or a quick fix because their lives just aren't working out. I prayed with a guy one day who, in, in the middle of that prayer, he stopped me in the middle of the prayer. <laughs> and he said, wait, wait, oh, 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 pastor. Yeah, God's forgiveness sounds great. I want God's forgiveness, but I don't want him to be Lord of my life. I don't want him calling the shots. Well, at least he was honest, Right? That's the only time it ever happened in my life with someone. In a pastor's uh, leadership conference at Mount Vernon Nazarene College, we call it PALCON in the Church of Nazarene Pastors and Leadership Conference, I, I heard Dr. Dennis Kinlaw preach a sermon, and something he said in that sermon has stuck with me all through the years. People come to Christ for many reasons. But whatever the reason we come to Christ, we are never disappointed Jesus always gives us more than we ever expected or bargained for I like that because I found it true in my life I came to Christ at the age of eight year old in revival service with Dr. John Knight and as the evangelist I came because I was scared to death I didn't want to go to hell a neighbor girl friend of mine and lived next door and her, her family and dad gave me a ride to church a lot of times when no one else went. And, and I'd, 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 during the altar call, I'd stood there with my, my hands on the pew in front of me and my knuckles had turned white, but I didn't respond. And she came up to me after the service. She goes, man, you're under conviction. You need to pray. I said, yeah, I do need to pray. I was only eight years old. But I knew what it was. To, I knew what it was. I knew I'd go to church all my life, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, every revival service, every, you know, every... But that didn't make me a Christian. I, I knew at the age of eight that I needed a relationship with God and that he loved me. And so I, I, that I, I gave my life to Christ. But the initial motivation of that fear of hell, you know, it turned into a motivation of love for God as my relationship with Christ developed and matured. You see, we, when we come to Christ and True confession and repentance, a relationship is born. And as we follow Christ, that relationship deepens and matures. Often in our American evangelical watered-down version of Christianity, people are, are told all they have to do is just say the sinner prayer, that gives you a ticket to heaven. And that comes from a very sterile, legal, courtroom understanding of salvation where God is the judge Jesus is our defense attorney. We're put on trial as a sinner. We're convicted as guilty, but Jesus takes our place. That's half the story. But then God judges, you know, he wraps the gavel on the desk and he declares us not guilty for all time and eternity. And we're eternally secure from that point on, no matter how we act, live, behave, or treat others. By the way, that's the primary view of salvation in Reformed theology the judicial view of salvation. And I would say, sorry to disappoint those who embrace primarily that view, that scripture never separates, are you listening? Scripture never separates the gift from the giver. First John 5, 12, whoever has the son, 
has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. The Son of God does not have life. Verse 11 of 1 John 5 says, And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. We don't get some ticket to heaven apart from the gift of receiving his Son. You don't get eternal life without inviting Jesus Christ into your life. And when you invite Jesus Christ into your life, a relationship is born. The primary revelation of salvation from Genesis to Revelation is a relational salvation. God is our Father. We are his children. Jesus is our brother, Savior, High Priest. The Holy Spirit is our empower, our comforter, our counselor, our revealer of truth, our, our guide. Our Christian life is a journey where the image of God is restored in us. And we pray and live the Lord's Prayer. We pray and live the Lord's Prayer in order to bring a little bit of heaven to earth. Of course, our life in Christ is all made possible through God's grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. He took the divine initiative. He, he, he stepped toward us first. He expressed his love for us first. For by grace you are saved through faith, not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, having been created in Christ Jesus to do the works that God prepared in advance for us to do. Have you noticed that none of the disciples, as far as we know, came to Jesus for, for any of our contemporary reasons. Rather, they followed Jesus simply because he passed them by and he said to them, follow me. And I'm sure each of you heard that sometime in your life. If you're here and you belong to him. And I think, isn't this where contemporary Christianity often gets stuck? When we, when we, when we offer it as a way of, to cure something, okay? Like sin. Or as the guarantee of something. Like heaven, we run the risk of having new believers lose interest once they believe their religion has done for them what they hoped it would do. So if their Christianity is shallow, it isn't because people are disinterested. It's, it's more likely they just don't get it or they haven't been taught right. That's, that's what the sixth soul shift is about. When we move from sheep to shepherd, we not only take on the responsibility of our own spiritual growth, but other folks as well. We begin to be concerned, perhaps for the first time in our lives, about the spiritual climate of the places where we live and where we work and the spiritual condition of those that we rub shoulders with every day. From the very beginning, Jesus hinted that he had big plans for his disciples and us. Using the Gospel of Mark, we'll go to Mark again today. Let's trace that pattern of Jesus' call to his first disciples and to us. Start in Mark 1, verse 15. Jesus began preaching the kingdom of heaven had come. And he called his disciples to follow him and be fishers of people, verse 17. Well, why a fisherman metaphor? He probably was using that metaphor from Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 16 who predicted that one day when God was ready to restore his people, the Lord will send for many fishermen and they will catch them. <laughs> Jeremiah, from the very beginning, Jesus was not simply looking for followers or just attracting a crowd. He was on a mission. And implicit in that call to follow is the call to enlist. With his disciples, Jesus continued moving from town to town 
doing the same three things. Read through the Gospels, watch their lives. Preaching, preaching the Gospel, healing the sick, delivering the oppressed from evil. Just a short few verses. Mark 1, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority. Mark 1, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. Mark 1, Jesus replied, let us go to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I came. Move on up to Mark chapter 3, verse 13. Not only did Jesus preach, teach, deliver, and heal He also pulled his disciples aside and he commissioned them to be with him and preach and have authority to drive out demons. Mark 3, 14 and 15. Jesus went up on a mountainside, called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. That, that be with him phrase just jumped out at me. So I was reading that passage. Because, you know, we can just go through the motions of ministry. I've done that. I'm guilty. We can just go through the motions of ministry and not take time to be with Jesus. I know because I've been guilty. And ministry gets its effectiveness and its power and results from being with Jesus first. Mark 6.30, even after the disciples began to preach and heal, there was one more thing Jesus wanted to do with them. And after calling them away there in verse 31, he saw the crowd and that was gathering and, and, he said, and he said he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Mark 6.34, like sheep without a shepherd. And when the, the disciples insisted that he, this is when he you know, multiplied the loaves and fed fed a few thousand there when the disciples insisted send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and and buy themselves something to eat in verse 36 and Jesus handed them the keys at that point it conferred onto them the authority and responsibility of a shepherd for he said to them in Mark 6 37 you give them something to eat The implication of all this is clear and powerful. Jesus did not come to simply save us, but also to recruit us. Jesus is recruiting us to be more than leaders. He's recruiting us to become his under-shepherds, his shepherds. Amos preached his sermons with a scroll of scripture in one hand and a shepherd's crook in the other. God's people in ancient Palestine lived their lives more often than not with sheep. Sheep are loved and those who who cared for them are favored in scripture. When God required the first acts of worship east of Eden, he asked for the sacrifice of a lamb. And when Jesus was born, the first and only people the angels announced it to were shepherds and their sleeping flocks of sheep on the hillside near Bethlehem. With sheep as a normal part of daily life for the people of the Lord, it was a perfect way for God to express the relationship that he would have with them. Scripture's full of it. It says, we are God's sheep. Psalm 73, I read Psalm 100 this morning. Psalm 79, we are your people. We are your very own sheep. We will praise you forever. Talks about God being our shepherd. Jacob said in Genesis 48, 15, like a shepherd, God has led me all of my life. 
Isaiah 40, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers his lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that are young. And we're all familiar with Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. We, heard, we hear that quite often. Jesus himself called himself the good shepherd. So following God like a sheep is a good thing. However, at the same time, Scripture has a stream of instruction that calls us to become more than sheep. God calls us to be shepherds, each one of us, to shepherd others. 2 Corinthians 1.24 instructs that those in any leadership position must not lord it over those lead, those that they lead. Instead, the Bible teaches those in positions of authority were to act like caring shepherds. 2 Samuel 5, and, and God seems to have no time for those who abuse that authority. If in doubt, go to Ezekiel 34. I like what Max Lucado said in his book, Gentle Thunder, we're not to be cowboys driving the herd to a destination, but shepherd gently leading, guiding, feeding, and protecting. Jesus is the good shepherd. His followers are called to be assistant shepherds, even while he is the head in John 21, 15, when Jesus, you're, you'll recall the story, I'm sure, when Jesus and Peter had their first full conversation after all the, de- the disciples had denied Christ, and Peter was included in that number. After their denial and the Savior's resurrection, Peter was eager to prove his loyalty to Jesus Christ. And so Jesus asked Peter if he loved him. Jesus even asked Peter the same question three times, echoing the three times that Peter had denied the Lord. And Peter kept being insistent, Lord, you know I love you. He loved the Lord despite his prior prior denial. And when Jesus responded to Peter's affirmation that he loved him, notice what Jesus said. He didn't say, I I know, Pete, I I know. Or, good, just checking, (laughs) He didn't say, I'm just messing with you, Pete. I I know you love me. Uh Uh-uh. What did he say? Every time Peter responded to Jesus by saying, you know, when Jesus asked him, do you love me? Peter said, you know I love you. And each time Jesus gave these instructions, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Somehow Peter could show his love by doing one thing and one thing only, feeding Christ followers. Pete, quit licking your wounds. Quit beating yourself up over past failures. Just go out and feed my sheep like I called you to do. (laughs) You belong to me. And we can do the same. We can move beyond just following to feeding. Jesus asks us to feed those he loves, to, to grow in our faith beyond milk to meet, and then when well-fed, begin feeding others. This is the journey from sheep to shepherd each Christian is is called to, regardless of our age, regardless of our social status, regardless of our educational level, regardless of our position in life, our gifts or graces. Everyone has someone to shepherd. It may be in an informal way. It could be in a formal, I don't know, but everybody has someone to shepherd. You know, shepherds have that extra dimension to their work that flows straight from their hearts. Shepherds have compassion 
toward their sheep. They're not critical because they know their sheep's limitations. They can empathize with those under their care. Shepherds know their sheep by name. They spend time with their sheep. They hear the same stories. They put up with a lot of the same mundane things. But it's here in that small talk that the sheep learn their shepherd's voice and that the shepherd gets to know their sheep. Leaders don't lead with a voice as much as with vision. They decide where the flock needs to go, but don't worry about who or how many are going to get there. Shepherds are self-forgetful. They lay down their lives. When something isn't working, they try again because shepherds are attracted to sheep. Leaders are attracted to an idea. They're frequently worried about promotion and rank and recognition. And we need leaders, but we need leaders with shepherds' hearts. Jesus is looking for disciples to become shepherds because the problem with the world, the problem with the world is that so many people, and Jesus said it, they're like shepherd. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Even today, Jesus wants us to engage in three activities to preach the gospel. And for, for all of us, now, oh, y'all don't preach, right? I mean, I'm up here preaching today. Maybe you like to preach. My wife likes to preach to me. Maybe, maybe you don't preach, but listen to this. Gospel, not just with sermons, but with stories of our own lives that are meant to convince our friends of the power of God. God wants you to share your story with others. He wants us to heal the sick, not always by some miraculous sign, but by touching them, by touching people in ways that empower them and help them to cope with their diseases and their frustrations in life. Yes, he wants us to deliver people from evil, not always by exercising some demon as in the movies, but by helping them disentangle from things that are destroying them. One illustration, and I'll just about wrap it up. Dave Turner. Dave Turner. I met Dave Turner in my ministry in Morgantown, West Virginia. He didn't have time for church. He was an avid sportsman. He, he loved fishing, but he particularly loved bass fishing. And he loved to go to those tournaments every weekend. So one Father's Day, he came to the Father's Day service to appease his wife and his girls. And during that service, God got a hold of his heart. This is a real story about someone that liked to fish for fish that God turned into someone that liked to fish for people. So I watched, I was privileged to watch Dave mature and grow in the Lord for 17 years. He decided one day that the things of God was more important than going to bass fishing every weekend. And that was the first crisis in his life, and he surrendered it to God. Then I watched him become a Sunday school teacher. And in, as a Sunday school teacher, I watched the heart that God developed in him for people. Ladies' class all of a sudden got a transfer, didn't have time to really get help. Her husband was out of town, so Dave rallied the Sunday school class, and they had uh, lunch together on a Sunday. Then they all went over and helped her pack, put her on the road loaded her truck. We had good old saint in the church that went to Dave and Dave, I'm really disappointed in you, Dave. I'm just really disappointed. 
Oh, don't you know you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath? <laughs> he, they said, well, the ox was in the di- ditch, brother. I had to help get it out. That woman's, by the way, that woman's, they moved out to Seattle. That woman's life was touched because of that single act of kindness. None of his friends showed up to help his wife move. But the church was there. Dave continued to develop in his faith. He developed a pastor's heart. We had to sit in my office one Sunday and I went one day during the week and a girl called and introduced herself. Hi, my name's Carol. My last church just kicked me out because I've tried to commit suicide two or three times. You can't make this kind of stuff up, folks. Uh, could I come to your church? Would you let me come to your church? I said, sure, Carol. Come to our church. So we got to know Carol. Began to minister to Carol. She'd been sexually abused <laughs> from the age of 12 to about the age of 16 by a couple uncles and some cousins. She was messed up. She'd gone to every counselor and psychologist and psychiatrist in our university town. Still would try to commit suicide. Oftentimes, the people that beat me to the hospital would be Dave. (laughs) His wife, Betty. They say, no matter what, Carol, we love you. Come to our house and spend the night when you're afraid. Come live with us. Call us when you're thinking about hurting yourself. They were involved in her life in intimate ways, making room for her. I remember one time in a, in a time with her in my office, we looked at James and said, forget what is behind, strain toward what is ahead. The devil focuses on the past, doesn't he? He focuses on our past failures and past sins, our past hardships. Jesus focuses on the present and the future, who we are in him and what we can become. In that whole process, some point along the way, Carol turned around. She looked at me and said, I I just can't believe that anybody will ever love me. How will any man ever want me as a wife? Well, guess what? God brought a man into her life that loved her. (laughs) Married her. Had two or three children. I wish the story was all good, but their first child died of cancer. But they have healthy little boy. I, I tell you, when God gets involved and when his people love, you see, because love never fails, love always wins. They continue to love her. See, that's, that's an example of preaching the gospel. <laughs> that's an example of bringing healing. That's, that's an example of delivering people from their evil by helping them disentangle from things that are destroying them. But you know what? It takes time, doesn't it? It's inconvenient, isn't it? It's not always easy. So Dave, as I watched him go from a bass fisherman to a fisher of people, it's just a wonderful illustration of what happens in our lives. He eventually, he'd worked for the Department of Energy and there in Morgantown, so he eventually became a pastor and he pastors a church up 
on the hill in Terra Alta, West Virginia, a log cabin church. And they love people. Start where you are. What can you do within your boundaries of your authority to improve the spiritual climate of the place where you have influence, the people you know? Who needs healing spoken into their lives? Maybe it is starting a Bible study or a care group or you gather for prayer, you organize a reading club or you begin to witness. Or maybe it's just one person God wants you to focus on and love to the end. Whatever Jesus asks you to do, I've been guilty of it. Sometimes we protest that we don't have enough time, we don't have enough money, we don't have enough education, we don't have authority, that we're not adequate, that we don't have the connections, that we don't know where to start. Don't you know some people from the Bible that sung that song? Moses? (laughs) And Aaron turned out to be a thorn in his flesh, didn't he? Because... I need Aaron. He can speak a lot better than me. Somewhere in God's plan to save the world, he left room for each one of us. Even now, he calls us to move forward, to quit following him from a safe, comfortable distance and doing only that which is convenient and to walk along beside him, helping him to do the things he's trying to do in our world of hurting, broken people. It all begins when you hear that familiar voice of your shepherd say, Those people over there, that person there, those people over there are like sheep without a shepherd. You feed them. Father, thank you for your word to us today. It isn't convenient. It does take time. It does try our patience. Lord, that's your plan to love the world through your body, the body of Christ, which is us. We have the feet and the hands and the means and the money and the gifts and the graces to bring healing to your world. Lord, I pray that whatever impressions that people have received during this sermon, that they would not forget them, that they would just spend some time reflecting as to what you want to say, who you want to bring into their lives or whose life you want them to be involved in. Lord, thank you for the the Dave Turners out there. Thank you for the grandmas in my life. That grandma lived with us and I saw her live her faith hour by hour and day by day in difficult circumstances, giving you praise and glory, mentoring me without even knowing it, seeing in her the example of the kind of Christian I wanted to be. Thank you, Father. Lord, as we go from this place, may we use our skills and gifts to share with others to help bring them to life. Thank you for the time we've had together as your body, the body of Christ. May words of encouragement and healing and optimism be spoken as we are together before we leave this place today. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.